And a big thing that the Holy Spirit begins to weed out of our lives is hate towards people, towards situations, because he says that all hate is hate. There's no justification. And I think why this is so important is because in John 13, verse 34, one of the, one of the most well-known uh, verses in the Gospel of John Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are now to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are called in this life to love people. And hate is a distraction from your life purpose. You need to start viewing hate as a distraction because you're called to love people. You exist to love the world. You exist to love God. You exist to love people. That's why we were created for love. You were, you were never created to hate. You were never created to look at people and want negative, bad things to happen to them. You were never created for that. You were created to love. And every time hate seeps into our heart, it begins to distract us from the purpose of our lives. I forget this constantly. I forget this hourly. My life exists to love the people around me and to love my God. And when I begin to allow hate to seep into my life, what I do is I allow my life to get distracted from my purpose. Maybe you forgot this, but you don't exist to be a negative person. You don't exist to be bitter. God did not create you to be a frustrated person. God did not create you to hurt those around you. He did not create you to ignore him. He did not create you to be a hateful purpose. Your life purpose, the command of Jesus, he goes, this is the command that I give to you. This is what I'm telling you to do, to love one another as I have loved you. Loving people self-sacrificially. Uh, many of you saw the, the Houston Rockets game last week uh, when they played the Cleveland Cavaliers. Raise your hand if you had, saw that game. There's probably just a few of you. All right, a few people here, yeah. Uh, some people are saying that was the greatest regular season basketball game this year, and I would totally agree. And uh, it was a pretty normal game, but it got a lot of news press because uh, the game, there was like almost like five different fights with the entire game, right? And the climax of it was actually a pretty dirty play when James Harden, who's our best player in the Houston Rockets, got fouled by LeBron James, who obviously LeBron James is probably the best player in basketball, right? Gets fouled by LeBron James, and James Harden takes it upon himself to, in a moment of anger, to try and kick LeBron James in the private area. And it was a really dirty move, and it was something that, you know, he got suspended a game for. And after the game, everyone was shocked because whenever this guy retaliated against LeBron James, LeBron James never retaliates back. People are always trying to get into a fight with LeBron James because if he gets into a fight, he gets ejected, and then his team is horrible without him, so they lose. So every game, people are trying to foul him hard. They're trying to go after him. They're trying to get him. They're trying to rile him up. And LeBron James has earned so much respect because he never fights. You could, like, trip LeBron. You could probably even take a swing at him. He would never retaliate in any way because you know why? LeBron James is there for one reason, to play basketball. That's what he's good at. That's what he's created to do. 
He's probably a really good fighter, but he's probably not the best fighter in the world. But he is by far the best basketball player in the world. And, and what teams try to do is they know that he's there to play basketball, and he knows he's, they know he's going to beat him. And so they try to get him distracted. They try to get him kicked out of the game. They've got to remove him because he's put there to beat them in a basketball game. And as humans, we're created to love people. That, that, that's what we are able to do. That's what I think, by God's grace, we are good at. I think when the Holy Spirit invades our lives, I think we are able to come alongside people and to love them. But the problem is, we have this hole in our heart called enemies. We allow hate to seep into it, and then it just takes over everything in our lives and we become a hateful person. See, hate is just a, a distraction in your life meant to, to remove you from your purpose of loving people and to take you off on this journey away from your life purpose. In 1 John, uh, John says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no darkness. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. You see... You can't love and hate at the same time. You get to choose. God says you get to choose. Light or darkness. Love or hate. And the biggest mistake we make is to think that somehow hate is going to fix our problem. Has hate ever fixed any problem in your entire life? Has it ever done anything in your life other than make everything so much worse? Hate causes war. Hate causes strife. Hate never fixes anything. You know what covers a multitude of sins? Love. You say, but what if they hurt me, John? What if, what if they're mean to me? What if they disagree with me? What if, what if they have done things that I just can't believe that they've done? What about then? And I go back and... Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. There's no exception. And, and we live in a world today, and this is really hard, I think, because we have so much information, and we, have, we can see all the horrific things happening across the world in a way that no one else in the history of humanity has ever been able to see. And so I think you could argue that it's even harder now than ever before not to find someone in this world to hate. And, and I want to be clear when I say this that um, I'm not saying that we approve of everything everybody does, that we're glad that people are mean to us, that we, we welcome it with open arms. All I'm saying is that we have to respond with love. Because that's the only thing that we were designed to do. And I think that we can do this. I think that if we understand what love really is, we can love our enemies, okay? That's, that's the next thing. I think if we, if we truly understand what love really is at its core, I think you actually can love your enemies. I don't think this is the hardest thing in the world for us to do, honestly. I think if we view love as a feeling or as an emotion or as a, a tingling in our soul, yeah, then it's hard to love your enemies, okay? Because of course your enemies give you those anxious feelings in your life. They, they scare you, they worry you, they, they aggravate you. Yes, of course. If, if, if love is an emotion, then it's going to be hard to love your enemies. But if you define love the way that the Apostle Paul defines love in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that love is patient and kind, 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. It never says love approves of all things. It never says love allows you to be abused. It just says that love is a hopeful kind of a thing. Love can look at a bad situation and say, God could do something good here. Love looks at the darkness and says, it is possible for the light to invade this place. Love looks at this community and says, God, God's name and his glory could break out powerfully in this community. Love looks at a family and says, no matter how broken it is, no matter what struggles we face, God can do a work here. Love is a hopeful kind of a thing. And if we view love as a, as a way of, of being patient with people and being hopeful towards them, not approving, but saying that something good can come here. My enemy can take a turn. The same way that when I was a sinner, when I was away from God, he redeemed me, how he did a work in my life, that he can do that in someone else's life, and especially the person of whom I disagree with. Love should breed hope in our hearts, not hate. And what you will find as you begin to love your enemies is it will heal your heart of all of the false hope that you thought hate was going to bring into your life. When you love your enemies, it begins to heal your own heart. And in the process, it can even often make an enemy a friend. One of the most um, amazing stories of love in the midst of war uh, happened about a hundred years ago. It was the beginning of uh, World War I back in 1914. And it was Christmas Eve in Europe, 1914, a hundred years ago. And the, uh, the war had just begun and it was ramping up to be obviously the greatest war in the history of humanity. Uh, not only were there a lot of troops, but now you've got all this science and all these um, abilities to create even worse weapons, to kill more people more efficiently. And this war is ramping up, and the, the German army uh, realizes that it's Christmas Eve, and so some of the, the German troops desiring to still celebrate Christmas, um, they're in this massive battle with the British, and they're, they're on their trenches on both sides, and there's this, there's this field in the middle of them with just like dead bodies, like everywhere, right? It's been a really bloody battle, but it's still Christmas Eve, right? And so the Germans say, well, we still want to celebrate Christmas, and so it's Christmas Eve night, and the Germans begin to, to bring out these, these Christmas trees, completely true story, and they begin to set them up, and they begin to put lights on them. And once they put up the, the lights, the Germans begin singing Silent Night, which is actually originally a, a German song. And so they begin to sing Silent Night in their trenches. And in the faint distance across the, the battlefield, the British begin hearing the sound of, of Silent Night being sung. And even in, even in Britain, Silent Night was sung in the German language. It was a German song. And so in the, in the, in the dark of the night, in the faint distance, they began to hear their enemy singing Silent Night. And I would sing it to you in German but I, I couldn't learn it. It was too difficult. Um, but they're hearing the sound of, of silent night and all of a sudden they, there's reports of all their hearts begin getting warmed as they're hearing this song. 
and, and they're hearing this, and it's the, the dead of night, and it's freezing, and they're missing their families, and they're lonely. They know tomorrow they could all just be dead. They, they know that they're in this depressing state of life, and yet in the darkness, in the faint, there's this faint sound of silent night being sung. Holy night. And the British begin singing along with the Germans, and, and they're across this battlefield, dead bodies everywhere, they're singing the song, Silent Night. And some of the British soldiers were so moved by this experience that, of this thing they had in common, celebrating the birth of Christ, that some of them risked their lives to venture across the battlefield to go see the Germans because they were so desperate to see the Christmas trees. And so they walked across the the battlefield, probably stumbling over dead bodies everywhere. And the Germans see them approaching. And the way they were able to not kill them was they all, the whole time as they approached, they were all singing the same song as they came together. And they sent word that it was okay. And for one day, these two armies called a day-long truce. And they spent the evening singing Christmas songs together, speaking different languages, hanging out around the Christmas tree. And they enjoyed it so much that the next day they decided that they wanted to celebrate Christmas Day together. And so they woke up really early in the morning, but they realized that there were too many dead bodies all over the, the, the place. And so they had to clean it up, otherwise it would be too hard to celebrate Christmas. So they began to get one another's soldiers, and they began to help each other bury their soldiers. And not only bury them, but do like uh, a really special service for them. They'd have a moment of silence, or they would sing a song over them as they would bury these soldiers. And then so they, they buried the soldiers, called the day truce. This is the British army and the German army in World War I. Keep that in mind. This isn't buddies. This isn't like someone gossiped about me. This is like we're trying to kill each other. This is like our whole country's on the line here, and yet there's something about this day of Christmas that's just like bringing us together. And so they, they, they clear the battlefield, and then they realize they both also have a like for soccer. And luckily some of the British troops were Scottish people who apparently always have soccer balls with them. And so they bring out a soccer ball, and they spend Christmas Day singing songs, enjoying Christmas trees, hanging out, and playing soccer together. True story. It's a story most historians refer to as the silent night of 1914. And eventually the higher-ups found out what was going on and they ended the truce. And December, late December 25th, the war resumed. And I think it's funny, when you read that story, a lot of historians, they always look past the fact that it was Christmas that brought them together. They kind of viewed it as just like a ritual or, or something, something coincidental. And, and yet I, I believe it was truly only because it was celebrating Christmas that brought them together. Ironically, the, as when Jesus came during Christmas and, and the angel says, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And 2,000 years later, it's, it's breaking up a war and bringing people together. And so many of these soldiers were forever changed by this that they began to write back home and said, Mom, you'll never believe what happened. We spent Christmas with the Germans. Wife, you'll never believe what happened. If I don't make it back, tell my kids about this moment. 
and you hear those stories, and it's like this beautiful glimpse of love breaking through the hate. It's this beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing in the world today, of of bringing people together in the name of him. You see, every single one of you, I was once your enemy. I was a human, and you were standing in my way. And now in Jesus, he has made me your brother. I am for you, and you are for me. And even if it's in World War I, hate is hate is hate is hate. And we are called to live without hate. It's a new way to do life. It's a new way to see the world. It's the Jesus way of seeing everything. Because love is patient and it is kind. It rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Why do you can love your enemies? Really is. And I'll close with this. Jesus makes it real simple. He says, pray for those who persecute you. You see, prayer infuses love into a hateful heart. And maybe you're like me, and, and you're, you're looking, and you're searching for your heart, and you're thinking of all the people that you don't maybe love the way you should. And I just want you to know this morning, that's okay. We're all works in progress. And, and the grace that we have received by Jesus through the cross and through his work is something that we gradually learn in this life to begin to show to others and to share with others. We're learning, we're in this process and in this journey of trying to love the world the way that Christ loved us, of, of, of turning in our hate and putting on love for people. Not like we approve everything, but we hope in all things. And I was thinking, how do we apply this as White Oak? Uh, what does that look like today? Like, what's a, what's a practical application? And I was thinking, well, who persecutes us? Like, who, who would that be today? And I, I mean, I ironically was thinking through that, and I remember looking at the TV where I was working, and I saw this, this headline of, like, ISIS and how they recently destroyed an ancient biblical city that probably most of us would have really appreciated. ISIS is an Islamic group, a militant group that is committed to killing non-Muslims. Right now, they've got a specific focus on Christians. And you might have heard, back in uh, February, they, um, they killed 21 Egyptian Christians by beheading them They put it on video, and they uploaded it for the world to see. A couple weeks later, they abducted 220 Assyrian Christians. In our day and age, in our time, where we find ourselves as followers of Jesus, these are the people who are persecuting us. And so I thought that the only way that we could really apply this to our lives and to really do what Jesus says to do, to see what might come of our lives if we give into obedience to Christ would be um, before we take the Lord's Supper as, as forgiven people, um, to close our time by, by praying for ISIS. Um, 
I've asked someone uh, specific to come up and pray for us. Uh, James Yandel is going to come up at this time. And uh, as many of you know James, um, he's heading up an initiative we have this year called Everyone for Everyone, which was kind of a, a desire to see every person in our church um, be connected to global missions. And so I thought that it would be really um, powerful to have this guy who's leading us in that global uh, initiative to pray for something that is truly a, a global issue. And so we're going to close this morning by, by doing what the scripture teaches us to do. And I don't know how he's going to say it. I want to give him grace because it's, it's probably not a tough thing to pray for this group. Um, but we're going to pray for ISIS. And then after he's finished, we're going to stand up and uh, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And so as he prays, I'm going to invite the deacons and the ushers to begin preparing the table for us. He is going to pray and then we're going to stand up, come to the front and sing together.